1: the Waco history podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on historic Bridge Street in Waco cross the Brazos and Waco ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Across the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San so thank y'all for sticking around uh, This is a live recording of the Waco History Podcast. Uh, My name is Stephen Sloan and I am the host of the Waco History Podcast. And We're recording tonight at the opening of the People Who Made Dr. Pepper exhibit at the Dr. Pepper Museum uh, in downtown Waco. So I've got two guests uh, with me tonight to talk a little bit about the museum and the era in which the bottling room operated. And the first one is BJ Greaves. And so BJ, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. You, you can go back and listen. BJ was on a previous episode of the podcast talking about...
2: The Dr. Pepper company when I was a kid.
1: Well, you did the interview with me talking about that, but Milton
2: Scott... Milton then, Scott, I do yeah, remember that. You're uh, right. In the park. That's, that's right. We, did, we
1: that did, did a recording in the park. Uh, but. We've had B.J. here tonight because B.J., I don't know if you remember, when we were reading names earlier, we read names of all those that, that worked at the Dr. Pepper Museum or those that we could identify. And one name we read that was not in my voice but B.J.'s was William T. Bill Greaves. And so let's start by you telling mm-hmm. us who William Greaves was. Huh.
2: Yeah. That was my dad. And he started working for Dr. Pepper in 1941. Uh, was absent from the company for three years during World War II uh, while he was in the Army. But then when he uh, was discharged from the Army in '45, he came back to the company. Worked here in this building until 1977 when he retired. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I would love to know your first memories <laughs> of this building and when you you didn't have a job here, but kind of your early memories of coming in this space.
2: Let, let me say, let me say this first. When I was about eight years old, I was making these life decisions of what I wanted to be when I grew up and I had sort of narrowed it down to being a preacher or being an architect. And uh, my mom and dad were in the kitchen of the little house we lived in. Dad was reading the paper at the kitchen table, mom was at the sink doing something, and I came in and told my mom, so I think I would like to be a preacher. And she said, that's, that's really good, that's great. You know you have to learn Greek. And I, and I was like, well, wait, what, no. And so I thought, well, okay, and, well, I, I think I'd like to be an architect. <laughs> and she said, that's, that's great, you realize you have to learn algebra. And I thought, man, this is is getting worse by the minute. And I asked her, I said, is there something I can do where I don't have to learn anything? And my dad sitting at the kitchen table said, you can work for Dr. Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) My first memory of this building, and as far as I know, it's the first time I set foot in this building, and this is gonna sound really odd to you, was on Monday, August 22nd, 1955. I was four years old, I was within three months of my fifth birthday. My younger sister was born on August 21st, 1955 on a Sunday. And so dad had taken the Monday off because he needed to babysit me and my older sister while mom was in the hospital. But I don't know why, but dad came, brought me and came to the building. We came in the front door. and. Uh, a bunch of the people working here in the office area including the man who was the manager at the time whose name I I just cannot remember right now came out I remember them shaking his hand patting him on the back Uh, like I said I was a little over four years old so I wasn't sure what was going on but the man who was manager was an older gentleman and I remember him sort of bending way down and shaking my hand and and just introducing himself to me. The other thing I remember about the building, about the office area, was on the wall, it was covered in in these plaques that were per capita awards that they had won year after year after year uh, within the company. And the little award uh, was a wooden plaque, but it had a, a little brass or bronze sculpture of a, of a little baby wearing a dr pepper hat holding a dr pepper bottle and they were all the same but they had dates on them and i remember asking my dad what what was that and he explained it to me although i don't know the four-year-old understands what a per capita award might be but he did his best that was the first time i was in the building then uh he was a route salesman at that time so he drove a route delivered Dr. Pepper. His routes were out in the country, generally, throughout Central Texas. He often said that was the best job he ever had, because you're just out there by yourself, you're kind of your own boss, you're you're making, uh, developing relationships on behalf of the company with, with store owners, grocery store owners, gas station owners, any place that, that he could sell Dr. Pepper. And... Then he got promoted up through uh, to, I think, assistant sales manager and sales manager. And while he was sales manager, the man, Chester Harris, who was the manager at that time, passed away. And then dad uh, was promoted into that role where he served until, uh, until he retired. But we would come up on Sunday afternoon, he and I, and the sales room was this room right to, to our right here. Uh, and every Monday morning, very early, all the route salesmen would meet, and Dad, as the sales manager, would go over uh, their, their sales for the week previous, their quotas and projections for what they were expected to do on their routes for the coming week, and then they would leave, get their trucks, and go. There's a chalkboard uh, high up on the wall in that room it's kind of pre-lined and pre-printed with different information, but all the handwritten information in that chalkboard is Dad's handwriting. The names of the individual route salesmen, they're still there, and some of the numbers of what they were expected to do. So while he was doing that, and, and the uh, the, salesman, the route salesman sat in these little desks, like you sit in a school with the, the desk and the, and the arm, while he would do that, I would sit there and draw. And he would give me these receipt books that I could draw on. They were pre-printed. They had a white copy, a yellow copy, maybe a pink copy, and some carbon paper in between. And then the route salesman would fill out the ticket when he delivered the Dr. Pepper to wherever it was going. And one of the tickets would go to the customer, and the other two would come back to the office. And uh, But the back side of those sheets were, were blank. And the primo sheets in the ticket book were the white ones. So I would draw pictures on the back of the white ones. In fact, my wife found the other day a picture I had drawn for my grandmother uh, at Christmas, apparently. It was Santa Claus and a sleigh and whatever. Uh, But I would draw until I got bored. And then I would go play in the building. And Dad always said, you can go. It's okay. Don't go up on the third floor. I don't really know why I wasn't allowed to go on the third floor, except I was probably out of earshot if he was going to holler at me for something. Um, And he said, don't turn anything on, don't touch anything. So I would leave and go up the stairs to the second floor, and you can't imagine what a temptation it was to not turn on something, not touch something, and not go up on the third floor. Uh, So I, I would just play and run around. Going up the steps right out here as you come in the front door, going up the, the little wooden steps, there was a, uh, a hole in one of the risers about halfway up the flight of steps that I convinced myself was, was a mouse hole. Uh, it could have been just a knot that came out of the wood at some point, but I convinced myself it was a mouse hole. So when I would go up the stairs or down the stairs, when I got to that step, I would jump across for fear that the mouse would come out and, and get me. <laughs> when we restored, and, and that's something, I, I got involved in this, in, in this building as an adult, as the architect for all of the restoration, renovations, pretty much everything that was done to turn it into a museum. So when I got involved as the architect for this building in, in 1989, that riser with the hole in it was still there. And so as we were restoring, and the stair was in pretty bad shape. So as we were restoring, and the contractor was rebuilding the, the stairway, I had mixed emotions about whether or not I should leave that with the hole in it because it was personal history to me, or whether we should go ahead and return it to its original appearance and we went ahead and returned it to its original appearance as we were trying to do with all the rest of the building. And it's one of the real regrets in life that I have. That <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't keep that mouse hole uh, just because of all the memories it, it meant to me. But I would play in the building. Um, the railroad track on Mary Street had a siding that came right beside the building. And on, so on Sunday afternoons, there would be a train that would go back and forth, up and down. Uh, The track, taking boxcars up the way to different companies and retrieving empty boxes or whatever and bringing them back. And so I was into trains like any kid would be. So when a train would come by, I would climb up on a chair because in that room, the windows are half, half moon shaped, but they're high. I'd climb up on a chair so I could look out the window and watch the train slowly come by going each direction. I just had all kinds of neat memories of being in this building as a kid. And uh, another thing that I noticed was there's a great deal of camaraderie among the employees. Um, and not really, I mean, they all seem to be friends. And I've worked enough in my career to know that's not always the case, but, but it seemed to be the case here. And one thing thinking back on it that I sort of attribute that to the majority of these men were all about the same age. So they were all at the time that I met them, most of them, if not all of them were veterans of World War II or the Korean War. And as veterans, they had within their units developed a strong bond with their fellow uh, soldiers the way that you depend on somebody for your own livelihood, your life, your, your safety. And I think that carried over into that generation of men and the way they worked with one another uh, as they got into their, whatever their chosen profession. It was very common then, and unfortunately very uncommon now, for somebody to start in a, in a job, in a profession, and stay there for their whole career, at the same place. And a lot of these men did. Because I grew up uh, and and got to relate to them as more as an older child, as an older adolescent, as an adult. Uh, the ones that were still here, and uh, you, you don't you don't really see that nowadays. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you you just had a sense of family when when you were here among the guys that worked here.
1: I want to thank BJ for just giving us an idea of what it was like. I mean, his from four to throughout your professional career has been attached to this building. So I appreciate you coming. Absolutely. and Sharing some of that with us. So let's thank, thank you. BJ. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna invite my second guest over. Well, all right, there we go. Mr. Griggs, if you'll come join me over here. So my, my second guest tonight, uh, again, we are here for uh, the people who made Dr. Pepper, the, the opening of the new exhibit at the Dr. Pepper Museum. And this is Mr. Harvey Griggs. We are fortunate to have him with us tonight and uh, Mr. Griggs, I interviewed oh about 18 months ago. He did not he's, he's had some Dr. Pepper. You drank a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> he has never worked at Dr. Pepper. Right. But he's here to help us understand, kind of working at an industrial place during this period where Dr. Pepper was operating. Mr. Griggs is from West. Right. Yeah. Eight kids no. in the Griggs family, right? Eight kids. <laughs> yeah. Eight kids in the Griggs family, and so uh, if you would start and tell us about your first job in Waco. Uh, there's a lot of stories you can tell, but let's start with working in Waco and, and your first job you had. Okay. Yeah.
0: The first job I had here in Waco was at the oil mill. Uh-huh. You know, so I the, the cottonseed
1: oil? Uh, right. Uh cottonseed oil mill. Yeah. You know I'm, it is the silos, but it's the cottonseed oil, cotton oil seed, mill.
0: It's cottonseed, right. Yeah. In fact, when they build the silos and I think my daughter, somebody asked me, said, you want to go down to Magnolia? I said, no, I know every place. Been all over that solid world. Ain't nothing I want to see. But anyway, that was the first job, you know, uh, working in the uh, seed room. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, down there, you know, it, it just blacks. Only white was in the, in the office, uh-huh. you know, two driving tr- trucks. But anyway, uh, and it was a seasonal job, you know, so come around Christmas time or the first of the year cotton be over with you know did everything so they would shut the the oil mill down and they would get it prepared some of them would stay there and work and get it prepared ready for the next year so uh come january they saying okay says uh we're going to be shutting down so within a i'm saying i got to find me another job you yeah know, and so I went out to the glass plant. They were not hiring. You know, come back. Said, went out to the glass plant. So we're not hiring. and so, I went out and filled out another application, about three, three or four applications. And finally, they called me. Said, "Come out for an interview." I said, okay. Went out and stayed out there all day with an the interview. They said, "Well, you can come to work tonight, at 11 o'clock." never had a job working at night <laughs> <So> <laughs> I went out and uh, they told me the first thing they told me is okay you get two breaks and a lunch 10 minutes 2 10 minute break 130 minute break not 10 and a half not 11 but 10 minutes okay so they had a cafeteria, I mean, full cafeteria. Uh, the way it was designed, you know, the counter, you know. then they had a little area in there, that's where the blacks were supposed to be, so was 1965. Kind of a main area, and then there was kind of a room at the back. Right, right? a yeah. little, something like this here, but it probably wasn't that big, about two or three tables in there, you know. So. We coming from the warehouse up there, by the time we get there and get where we want, we had to turn around and come back because we got to be back at the truck at 10 minutes. <laughs> so I can't exactly tell you how many steps, how many what it was from the warehouse to the, but anyway, nine and a half minutes, we were back at the truck you know, <laughs> because we just getting started. Now, like this gentleman, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me when I started there. I started in January, the 25th. That's wintertime. But it's mostly like today, kind of hot and warm. Uh-huh. So that night, I went to work with a coat just about this size. 2.30, it's snowing. I mean, not, it's snowing. Uh-huh. So now I'm there about three weeks now. So I'm sitting there, they're going to come and tell us to go home in a few minutes, you know, all this snow and everything. I'm cold, don't have a jacket to put on. So I asked one of the fellas that was already there, I said, when are they going to come and tell us to go home? He looked at me and laughed. He said, this is 24-7. <laughs> you know, we don't share that. <laughs> yeah. you know? Don't close. Yeah. Man, what have I gotten in myself into? You know, so... Getting back to the port, you know, it was only in the warehouses where the majority was—all the blacks were. You know, they wasn't up in the front, they wasn't on the bottom line, they wasn't on the mold shop. It was all in the warehouse. Uh-huh. You know. So when we would, like I said, go to the re- uh, restaurant up at a the cafe, we had to be back 30 minutes. We had to be back. But while we back working, they're still in the office. Mm -hmm. This is where it was in 1965. Mm -hmm. So, bouncing back, before then, you said up there, the sit down has already happened.
1: Uh
0: After the sit down, I comes up with an attitude so I took my attitude into the glass plant with me. So he's
1: talking about so when I interviewed Mr. Griggs, we were talking about sit-ins in Waco where they were sitting in and integrating yeah. lunch counters and other spaces.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, so but me now I'm got an attitude. Yeah. See, because I'm looking on the TV, you know, and I'm seeing all this there, you know, so I get an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> so I get out to the glass plant. It's a whole different world now you know because in the glass plant in the White House and then the rest of it you know we still segregated uh-huh. you know now I'm talking you know so one of those men said look young man so you don't know I said you better settle down you know he said things is not what it is <laughs> and not what you think it is mm-hmm. you know so, I don't know if one of the questions you got to ask me, or you could ask me, but 35, 39 and a half years later,
1: <laughs>
0: I settled down. <laughs> because I had a family. Yeah. And when you got a family and trying to make a living for them, you take a whole lot. Yeah. You know?
1: yeah.
0: So what are you saying? I took a whole lot in those almost 40 years but I took care of my family, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, when you on the outside looking in, it looks different. Mm-hmm. But when you in the middle, you know, it's a different story. Yeah. Now, to wind it back down, you know, not let you ask me questions and everything. I don't regret any of it. Uh-huh. You know, I enjoyed I made a good living for the family and everything and I learned how to deal with people not on a black and white issue, yeah. but on a people yeah. issue. Yeah. You, know, I, I, you said questions, you know, when anybody got into questions, you know, but that's my story of the glass plant. Yeah. Come to Dr. Pipper, i made a load of uh, many bottles for Dr. <laughs> Pipper. So now,
1: now you told me when you started the glass plant in 65, the the lunchroom was segregated. Right. But then tell me what happened when it integrated, when it wasn't segregated anymore.
0: Well okay. Uh I think what I know. When we would go up there, you know, you could sit anywhere you want to. I'm not gonna call the lady's name, you know, but anyway, she was one of the cooks out there and the servant. So we got our plate and we went sit in the middle so we started laughing and she couldn't take that y'all need to get over in that corner where y'all belongs you know so we all looked you know, where we belong mm-hmm. you know and mindset, said that's the way she thought yeah you know
1: yeah
0: but during then i think we handled it well you know we just looked at her you know we kept going but uh, it took a while for them to get used to the blacks being anywhere. It took a while for them to even have blacks put in for jobs in different departments mm-hmm. because it was only blacks was only set up for why in the warehouse, why? It was no doors, so it was hot yep. in the summertime. And cold in the winter.
1: Cold in the
0: winter. Yeah. Yep. So, when I got there, they had two blacks driving tow motors, you know, uh-huh. and the rest,
1: you know. The rest doing more manual work. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Manually work, you know. Mm-hmm. They had showers set up. They had one big, oh, excuse oh. me. Uh, it was one big unit, you know. And on the back, on one side was the shower for the white and on the other side was the shower for the black. They couldn't even shower in the same, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't even go to the same bathroom, Yeah. you know. Yeah. So what, what, you know, when I started, you got used to it because it took from 65, I think it was 67 or 68 when it actually, you know, integrated. Mm-hmm. So there was three years. Yeah. But then they had men before me that's been there 15, 20, 30 years that put through, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, as far as the integrating and segregated, you know, uh, it took a while to get used to it. Yeah. I can remember when they had the first black females out there that had three of them. And they told us in the warehouse when you get up there, they got some colored womens working up there now. Don't don't you all talk to them. Hmm. So when I get up to the cafeteria, one of those three colored women was my sister in law. <laughs> <laughs> so now yeah. I said, now he's crazy if he think I'm not gonna talk to my sister in law. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So but uh, what they went through as an icebreaker for the females to be up there, yeah. you know, I, I just imagine it was a whole lot more difficult for them than it was for, because at least back there in the warehouse, we did have a few, yeah. you know.
1: yeah.
0: So, in a way we got along, in a way we didn't. Yeah. You know, it was just a line, you know, you get up close to that line as long as you don't cross over. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was part of life during then. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get up to the line, but don't cross it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, how many years did you work at the glass plant? 39 and a half. 39 and a half years. They said, "Why don't you stay here another six months and get in 40 years? 39 is too long."
1: <laughs> <laughs> you already stayed six months longer than
0: you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't notice, you know, one of them is here, the black. He can kind of come, uh, go along with what I'm saying too, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I made a good living. I don't regret anything, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, what I went through was a learning lesson, you know. Uh, mm-hmm integration you know segregation you know and all but uh all that's part of life
1: yeah you know when do you feel like in, in working in the space you worked that you got you were getting equal opportunities like when do you feel like that came along or do you ever feel like there was a time where
0: to be uh I guess I can say when I became the president of the credit union out there. Yeah, and you know, when was that? That was, oh man.
2: Sorry.
1: 1990s.
0: Okay. I, I served as the president for 17 years. Okay. And I guess the reason why I'm saying then is because it seemed like I was more in control yeah. than being controlled. Yes. You know. Yeah. I was able to tell and to manip not manipulate, but, uh, but manage. People, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, you know, sometime when they thought things was not going, like they wanted in the credit union then they had come to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So it made me feel like I was, uh, let's like say, in control. Yeah. And I was, Yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, mm. uh, I went into the maintenance department. I had a practically the department that I was the only maintenance guy down there. Mm-hmm. You know, we was on call 24/7. You know, so uh, if anything went wrong, then I had to be. Yeah, you,
1: know, you were the guy like oh, that. Was it? Yeah.
0: So <laughs> I felt kind of in control down there. But like I said, when I became the president of the credit union, it really just you know yeah. uh, not 99 anymore. Yeah. 99.9, <laughs> I was the man. <laughs> well, so.
1: Mr. Griggs, oh, that's all right. Well, oh. Mi- Mr. Griggs, I appreciate you sharing some with us because okay. I, I, you, you hadn't told me that story before about the credit union. So I, oh. so I, so I appreciate you telling me that. Well, you didn't
0: ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't ask her, you, you would have told me, right? right?
1: Well, let's thank Mr. Griggs for sharing with us tonight. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't get away without this. All right, thank y'all so much for coming out for the live podcast recording and the exhibit opening. There's probably food left somewhere. so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com. And more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.